As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. If the notice of default is greater than 10% of the ARV, the after repair value of the property, I pass on it. And that way I'm able to narrow down really specifically to properties that I know that I'm going to have some kind of arbitrage or spread that I can make some money on. Best ever listeners, I'm so excited to share today's sponsor with you. It's Eastern Union Funding and Arbor Realty Trust. If you're in the multifamily space, you likely recognize these names, but have you used them? Uh, I'm guessing if you haven't, then you probably know someone who has. I can tell you personally, we have used uh, Mark Belsky. He is a point person at Eastern Union Funding as a partner with us, and he has helped us secure debt uh, for actually a deal we closed on this month. And we've worked with him. Um, In addition, my clients, my program, my consulting program have worked with them to successfully close on deals. When we were starting out, Ashcroft was starting out, we had somewhat of a track record, but we weren't fully as established with our investor network. I went to him and we secured some equity, $500,000 in equity to fund one of our deals. While he works with more institutional partners, He's brought $200 million in equity over the last 12 months. He was able to help us out there, and we've built a relationship with him and Eastern Union Funding ever since. So if you need equity for your deal and you have a track record, then he's your point person. His number is 212-897-9875. If you need debt, then he partners up with Arbor on a lot of transactions. So if you're a multifamily borrower who wants agency or bridge debt, then that's the team to work with. Uh, we have worked with their team, both Eastern Union and Arbor, on deals. And people who have purchased our deals, purchased deals from us, have used Arbor, as well as my clients in my consulting program, they've used it. So this is a recommendation that comes from from firsthand experience. And the last thing I'll say about uh, working with Mark Belsky at Eastern Union is that if you need a loan guarantor but don't have that track record quite yet, then Mark can look at what you've, the deal you've got, and assuming it checks out, he can make introductions to people he knows as potential loan guarantors for your deal. So debt equity, and potentially loan guarantors. Uh, all you need, well, you need to find a deal, obviously. 
Um, but besides that, you know, the other main components of the deal they can help you out with. So talk to Mark Belsky. His email is mbelsky at easterneq.com. And his phone number, 212-897-9875. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Ryan Nickel. How you doing, Ryan? Hey, I'm doing good, Joe. Thank you. Well, great. Glad to hear it. And a little bit about Ryan. He has been investing full-time in real estate for three and a half years. He's just under the 100 deal mark in terms of total deals, specializes in creative real estate deal structures, and he has a niche that he calls skinny deals. We'll talk about that based about an hour north of Sacramento, California. So with that being said, Ryan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Of course. So back in 2003, 2008, I was in the mortgage industry. And then when that went bust, I did as well. So I got out of real estate altogether. I just like, you know what? This hurts too much. I just can't do this anymore. So went into corporate America, started trying to find myself, looked for different gigs, whatnot. And then I found myself unemployed in 2015. And at that point, I realized that I don't know what I'm doing and I don't have a plan. And I had a good friend of mine at the time. He reached out to me and says, hey, you know what? Real estate is what you need to get yourself back into. I know you got burned a couple of years ago, but get back into it and we'll make something happen. So I took the leap of faith and dove back into it. And here we are happy and fortunately doing a lot better financially. What did you start doing in 2005 to make that immediate income that you likely needed? After I lost my job in 2015? Yeah, sorry. I meant 15. I was thinking 15, but I said five. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure the best ever listeners knew as well what you meant. So his strategy, basically just taking properties over subject to and turn around and either doing a lease option or a contract for deed type of sell. And that's what I, I jumped into. My very first one was a lease option and I got like a $15,000 assignment fee. And I'm like, holy crap, this stuff <laughs> works. Were you doing that remotely? No, I was boots on the ground. I was actually his boots on the ground. He taught me what to do. And then I went out and knocked on the doors and tried to find the deals. And then he structured them for me and I got the payday. What did he teach you when you said he taught you what to do? At that particular time, this is in Savannah, Georgia, by the way. So we're in the deep South and the markets don't fluctuate quite like they do on the coast. So we were still in the downturn. So his thing was like, hey man, there's a lot of for sale by owners out there. There's a lot of for rent by owners as well because they're just accidental landlords. Reach out to them, see what you can do. So I thought, well, shoot, I can probably bypass this a little bit. So what I did was I was audacious enough to put a, an ad on Craigslist. Now, mind you, I'm on food stamps. I'm broke. I'm homeless <laughs> at this time too, because my family is back in California. I moved out there and I was sleeping on the back of this guy's he had an office space. And then there's like a little closet in the back. And that's where I was sleeping was in the closet. So I put this sign out there on Craigslist. that basically says real estate investor seeks apprentice. And I got lucky or it was the good graces of God. It's both of those. And this guy reached out to me and says, hey, my aunt's landlord's losing his property. He has about 11 of them. He's going through bankruptcy. Do you think we could do something together? And I was like, uh, yeah, let's do it. So that's kind of how I got started finding uh, property. So I just put a sign out there. It was, it was wow. pretty fortuitous. If you had someone teaching you how to do it, why did you do a post real estate investor who seeks apprentice? That's a great question. Oh, you, I'm sorry. You were posting as though you're the investor and you're looking. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I took a huge leap of faith in doing that. And obviously the person that did as well, but I had the credibility of the guy that I was working with backing me. So I knew that whatever situation I would get into, 
he could solve it for me or he could <laughs> have the creative genius to make it work. So I'm like, yeah, we can make this happen. Totally. Was that the first one where you made the 15K assignment? Piece? It was. It was. Wow. Do you remember the numbers and the structure of that just to go into that a little bit more? I do. Yeah. So the gentleman owed about 105000 on it. And it was a huge house too. I'd never seen houses like this. Coming from California, I'm like, oh, we're yeah. used to this <laughs> cookie cutter, three bedroom, two bath, 1400 square foot home. And this was like a seven bedroom, four bath, 3,500 square foot home. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a mansion. <laughs> and I couldn't believe the price it was like 105. So he owed 105000 on it. And I sold it for 120. That was a number. And then of course, that's where the 15,000 came from. And then... The monthly payment on it was about seven fifty a month, and I had structured the monthly payment, so I was getting a spread on it. So the monthly payment to me was eight fifty, mm-hmm. and so you, we did that for about a year. You did that for the property, and they exercised their option, or you did that approach on multiple properties for a year. Oh, on multiple properties for a year, but on that particular property, that's what we did. I ended up giving that one back to the owner that was in bankruptcy. After about a year of profit from it, he came to me and said that he was having some more financial difficulties and needed some help. So I said, well, hey, you know, I'm, I'm cash flowing this property. I'll just give it right back to you and you can do what you need to do. And, and that's what happened with that one. Huh. How does that work from a tax standpoint? At that point, I, I probably couldn't have told you, but I can tell you what I do now with my properties. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so once I take them over subject to the existing debt, so we own, we're on title, we own the properties, but the debt's in someone else's name. We just basically treat them as rentals. And we just depreciate the asset. If we sell them on a contract for deed where we are now arbitraging the interest, then of course we'll claim that interest spread as well. You're now back in California. How come you moved back? My father-in-law was diagnosed with cancer. So we're out there for about a year in Georgia. And at that point we were like, well, shoot, you know. Who's we? My wife and family. They finally moved out. (laughs) Oh, really? After you got out of the closet? (laughs) <laughs> After I got out of the closet, I came out of the closet with 15 grand. And I said, honey, pack your bags. We're coming to Georgia. So we moved out to Georgia. Like I said, very short-lived. And he was diagnosed with cancer. And we decided, well, let's move back. And I thought it would be easier in California because I knew people. I knew the market. Completely different animal. And now I know why people are like, oh, California is so hard. But it, we've struggled and we've made it happen. So that's why we're here. He passed earlier this year. Unfortunately, we were able to spend an extra two years with him really close by. And it was good for our kids as well. What are the differences between Georgia and California doing the approach that you were doing? Aside from the sheer volume as far as like loan differences, loan amounts, and I hate to say it this way. I don't know any other other way to say it. California has a more sophisticated seller. They know what they have. They know the values of their property. They know what their payments are and what things are worth. Whereas in Georgia, it was just a good old boy network kind of like, you know, I trust you, son. You can you know shake my hand and make my payments for me. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. So there's the hurdle of getting them to one, trust me, and then also getting them to not just trust me as a person, but trust the fact that, hey, I know what I'm talking about here, even though I'm like a young kid kind of a thing. And that was one of the bigger hurdles. And I think myself personally, I have my own psychological issues going from 60000 to $100,000 home values to four hundred, five hundred thousand $500,000 home values was a bit of a shock to me as well. And how did you manage to do this remotely when you packed your bags and went to California? We struggled with that, honestly. I thought that I could just make up a phone call and we'd make it work. So we have boots on the ground in some of the remote areas that we do it in. And that's how we do it in South Carolina and Georgia, where we still are buying and hold property. That's one way is we just basically partner with local wholesalers. But we do predominantly 
the majority of our work is in our own backyard now here in California. But we struggled, for example, getting the property, getting people paid, right? When you take it down, it's not a problem. The struggle that we had was trying to get the person who's buying the property from you to be able to pay you on time when they realize that you're out of state and they're like, oh, whatever, you know, it's, we had a couple of people that just didn't pay us. So we had to hire local management companies to come in and kind of set things straight for them, which, and again, looking back, it was a learning curve on my end, trying to get into this business and not have set the expectations going forward. And I think if I were to do this again, remotely, we don't do as much remote as we could or should, but if I were to do it again, I would set the expectations right from the get-go and make it clear where to get paid and there to stay in the house versus having to go several months without any kind of payment and then finally having to hire either an attorney to evict or a property manager to set things straight. What are skinny deals that I read in your bio? So a skinny deal is anything you can't wholesale, anything that doesn't have enough margin. So we're looking at properties that have typically not enough equity even to sell it with a real estate agent because they'd have to cut a check because the agent's commissions would eat right into any profit that would be there for the seller. So it includes properties that are upside down. So those are the properties that we focus on that we feel like we don't have any competition. They're just sellers that are kind of, for lack of a better word, just pushed to the side because traditional agents or wholesalers can't make any money on these deals. And so they can't help those people and just let them go. Will you give us a specific example of a deal like that and just tell us how you worked it with the numbers? Sure. Just talked about one we just closed here recently. There was a gentleman, he had been deployed overseas for a number of years. So his home had kind of gotten disrepair. And he owed 219000 on it. And in the condition of the home, it probably was worth maybe two fifty. So he just didn't want to list it because he was afraid that he would have to take concessions and have to come out of pocket. And he was really kind of running low on cash because he had been making a mortgage payment on a property that he hadn't lived in for almost, I think, six or seven years. This so, is in California? This is in California, yeah. Okay. $250,000 home in California. <laughs> right. We're north of Sacramento, so some values are pretty decent. Okay. In some pockets. So we took over the balance of 219000 on it. And the house it needed a lot of work. So all I did was I put about $5,000 of work into it. The pool was completely green, had like mosquito fish in it. It was just destroyed. Mm. So we drained the pool. Unfortunately, it didn't need anything other than just being drained in a new sweeper. The pumps were fine. The plaster, fortunately, was still intact without any kind of severe damage. So we fixed that. We ripped up all the carpets, exposed beautiful hardwood floors, and cut the grass and just, you know, basically gave it a, a nice little facelift from its previous condition. And I put it on the market at 300000 with the seller that would carry. And we asked for 10% down and we got a buyer that agreed to those terms. And so I have the 10%, but I need a little bit of time for you guys to work with me. I have 75 today. I'll have 10 in another two weeks. And then I can come up with a difference in the next 12 months. So our monthly payment on that that we owe our obligation on those payments are roughly about $1,500 a month. And we did a lease with an option to purchase with $7,500 down at $1,700 a month. And then we've collected an extra 10 on that. And we're waiting for the remaining balance before we convert it into a, a true seller finance transaction. How do you communicate this to a seller? In layman's terms, that was one of my biggest challenges. Cause when I was in Georgia, they're like, you know, who is this guy? He's a city slicker. I'm driving a car with California license plates. I talk kind of fast and it was really difficult for me to gain any kind of credibility. So I wrote a book, 96 pages, it wasn't a, a very long book, but it basically just says how to sell your house when it won't sell. And the book basically shares how they can do it themselves. So I've had a lot of sellers just read the book and they're just like, oh, okay, well, I understand the concept, but I just would rather have you do it for me. So 
in some cases, that's what I do. I just give them the book. Other times they're like, I'm not going to read it. It just adds credibility. They're like, I'm not going to read it. Just tell me what you're going to do. And I just tell them, I say, look, I'm going to take over the payments of your property. I'm going to keep it as an investment. My goal is to get this loan paid off as soon as possible. I can't predict when that will be. It may be in a year, it may be in five years. But my goal in the meantime is to make sure that those payments are made for you and for me because one, I want to keep your credit intact. And two, I need to make sure that I'm not going to lose my investment because I'm investing money into your property. And at that point, they're like, yeah, okay, that's, that makes sense. Let's just do it. Mm-hmm. What paperwork's involved? A lot. <laughs> Even involved. More in California than in Georgia? Yes, in Georgia. It was like a handshake, man. <laughs> California has its own legal disclosures just because. Whether you're for sale by owner or you're going through an agent or a title company, you have to do California disclosure. So, of course, we do those. I tell people that they're just getting started to always go through a title company because you can buy the property subject to that existing debt with a title company. Uh-huh. But I myself personally don't do that anymore. I have when I first got started just because I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I want to make sure that I was protected. So if I ever needed to refinance or sell or convey the property that I had the right on title that I could do that. But nowadays, all what I do is I put everything into a land trust. So I have the homeowner convey his property into a trust. And then we're giving them cash usually. So what we'll do is we'll buy their beneficial interest. And so on the land trust, they're the beneficiaries. We then buy that, that beneficial interest and they transfer that to us and the trust is intact. That way we keep ourselves off of public record in that regard. And what's the reason for doing it that way? Exposure, risk. We have a lot of property. Maybe comparatively speaking to some, maybe not as much, but just to keep my name out of the public record. I've been sued a few times. So we have some straight up rentals. And when a renter thinks that they have you for something, we've gone that route. So we've decided we're just put everything in a trust. Got it. When you think about these deals, what is the biggest challenge that you've come across when executing a deal where it's a lease option? On the buy side or the sell side? Both. Both. The biggest thing is properly conveying what we're doing to a seller. For example, I got a call from a lady yesterday who's in the middle of trying to buy a house. She's like, hey, I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to buy a house and my, my loan officer says that, that I can't afford it because I already own another property and I told her that I don't. So it was explaining to her, it's like, technically you don't own the property. We own the property because you deeded it over to us. We bought it, that you transferred it but the debt obligation is still in her name. So always being able to explain upfront all of the risks that are inherent with this kind of a transaction and why they shouldn't do it. Because if there are other ways for them, we want them to make sure that we're their last resort, basically. So sometimes we'll find ourselves giving them opportunities to go elsewhere to get their house sold. That's one of the main challenges is just being sure that we are their last resort when it comes to taking over a property. And most of these properties that we do do are behind on payments and they're going to go to foreclosure anyway. So at that point, they're like, no one's going to touch it. They're like, we're too far gone. On the sell side, it's finding the right person and the right family and making sure that they're qualified. So it's kind of up in the air what's happened with Dodd-Frank right now. Some aspects were repealed, some weren't. So when we sell our finance these, we have to go through a loan officer. We have to make sure that the ratios meet certain requirements. And that becomes a challenge because some of these families that we have are cash-only families. And so verifying their income becomes rather difficult. And that's a challenge for us on those. And how do you do that? How do you verify accurately? We don't. I'll tell you straight up, we don't. 
If they are willing to put down a $20,000 down payment at that point, we're like, okay, you know, it, it becomes the risk versus reward for them. It's like, okay, they're not going to just put this money down and then bail on us, like not be able to make a monthly payment. And basically, if you can pay, you can stay kind of a thing in, in those situations. Based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? So when I'm investing in foreclosures, one of the things that I always look for, because I know I'm going to turn around and I'm going to bring the, the property current and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to sell it. And I ask for 10% down. So on the fly, it becomes really easy when I'm evaluating these things to look at what the notice of default is. And if the notice of default is greater than 10% of the ARV, the after repair value of the property, I pass on it. And that way I'm able to narrow down really specifically to properties that I know that I'm going to have some kind of arbitrage or spread that I can make some money on. Mm, okay. Good stuff. With the skinny deals, is there a deal that you can think about specifically where it's like, ah, I couldn't do anything with it and you just had to pass and put your hands up and like, sorry, can't help? There have been some of those, yeah. But then I, I realized that there are other options that are not so much skinny related. I mean, they're still skinny deals, but I, I don't do like the lease option or the, the seller finance techniques. Why not? No, they just don't work. For example, like we found one that had like $50,000 in the rears and the property was only worth 180000 So at best, we were going to collect eighteen grand down on it and there was just no way that we could cover that spread or make it even financially feasible to do that. So it wouldn't work in that case. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Do you need debt for your deal, equity for your deal, or maybe a loan guarantor to help you get qualified for the financing? Talk to Mark Belsky. His number is 212-897-9875. That's 212-897-9875. His email is mbelsky at Eastern. EQ.com. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com. Best ever book you've recently read? Oh, recently. You're going to change it up on me. <laughs> okay. The most recent one that I read that really kind of would be considered best ever that I actually went out and bought for my wife and my dad was The Liberty of Our Language Revealed by Thomas Blackwell. I know him personally too. And I saw they had a book on Facebook. I'm like, oh, I'll buy it. I think it'd be kind of cool. Totally changed how I look at things. It's just one of those books that you realize, man, my internal dialogue and how I see the world, it's dependent upon my language. And I can either dictate success or I can dictate failure. It's on me. So that was a really good book for me. Does the book focus on the language we use affects our life experiences? Is that kind of the premise or is it some other approach? No, that is the premise of it. Yeah. Oh, it's basically that. you, you yeah. control it, man. You have the liberty. I have a document on my desktop and it's called Breakthrough Ideas and Thoughts. So it's a folder and then I have a documents in there where I just write th certain things. And one of the things that's on my list to do within something that is breakthrough that or could be for me is to just study different emotional words and then after studying them, then use them to describe experiences that I have when appropriate and that in turn will help me associate those experiences to whatever those words are versus my limited vocabulary of how was the workout? Oh, it was good. Right. Um, are there other ways to describe that? Certainly there are, but I have a limited vocabulary and uh, without studying and being intentional about it, I won't exercise that. 
It's interesting you said that because there was a part in his book where you're familiar with muscle testing where I can hold your arm one, one way and I can push on it and you can resist it and you hold it a different way and I push on it and like it falls down. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so he did that in his book and he, so he was talking about it, how when you talk about, like you said, different words that are associated with different feelings and he was talking about positive like love and appreciation, joy and gratitude, how the person was able to like to withstand, to resist his, for lack of a better word, pressure pushing down on him. And then as soon as he flipped it to like hate, discouragement, self-doubt, all of a sudden, he, every single time he was able just to push these people's arms down without any effort at all. And that was one of the things that kind of changed for me. I was like, man, no matter how I'm feeling, if I'm discouraged and I have these outside pressures that are pushing down on me, I'm not able to resist them if my internal feelings are of lack and self-depreciation instead of self-worth and gratitude and things like that. I love that. That's great stuff. Best ever deal you've done that we have not talked about. This is the best ever because it literally happened because I have a, a sign on my truck and the dude texted me and I did everything over text in about a 30 minute window and we ended up making 12,000 in an assignment fee in seven days. So everything happened through a text. I emailed him the contract. He showed up the title company, signed it and we were done and the cash buyer came in and bought it. And that was the best ever because it's like, how much does it cost to wrap your truck? That one was $97. The truck wrap, $97? <laughs> All it says is I buy houses and my phone number. That was it. Wow, wow. And you got twelve k from a lead as a result of it. Pretty good investment. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? This is probably a multiple mistake. That has re- it took me a while to learn this lesson. It was getting mad at people for not getting back to me or they ignored my offers or they didn't understand like a buyer, like explaining to them, hey, this is how it works. You're buying from me. And then just getting angry and frustrated and... That has cost me a lot of money. It was never about them. It was always about me. Either those times I either had money challenges or some kind of external stressor that caused me to lash out at them. And the moment I did that, I lost one, all credibility and two, trust with people. And and trust in this kind of a business that we have long-term relationships where we're accepting payments from people over time, it kills the deal. It was a real hard lesson for me to realize that every time I got mad, I was basically opening up my wallet and just throwing $100 bills out the window. Best ever way you like to give back. I have a scholarship fund that I set up at the college I graduated from and I donate it every semester. And what I do is I have the person who's receiving that scholarship for that semester, write me a letter, just explaining, you know, who they are and what it means to them and what they're going to do with their education and their life and send me a picture. And that's one of the best ever things that I love to receive. I have a folder full of those. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on? They can catch me over at bootstraprei.com. That'll probably take them to our we have a Facebook page there, and it gives them a lot of information. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your approach to the skinny deals, the ones, as you mentioned, that don't have enough equity to wholesale. So then you figure out another way to approach it, getting into specific case studies, and also talking about the pros and cons to doing these and how the paperwork involved and how it's structured. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. That's my pleasure. Thank you, Joe. Are you looking to get started in multifamily investing or looking to grow your portfolio? Nathan Tabor has created an online course that is slammed with incredibly useful and practical information. Check it out at apartments.nathantabor.com.